0: Today on Your Money, Your Wealth, we're back for round three of the YMYW Retirement Plan Spitball Analysis. And this time, Joe and Big Al focus on your tax diversification and asset allocation questions. Should more money be going into Christie's pre-tax Roth accounts? Has Rogers set up a good asset allocation for his elderly relative? Plus, find out what the fellas think of the rule of 100 or the rule of 120 for investing in stocks and bonds, as touted by Jack Bogle and the book. Heads. Also, should Tom take a coronavirus-related distribution? And finally, the fellas answer your questions on when to take Social Security and that file and suspend rule that affects people born in 1954. Click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app to go to the show notes, read the transcript, access this week's free financial resources, and send in your money questions. I'm producer Andy Last, and here are the hosts of Your Money, Your Wealth, Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Big Al Clopine CPA.
1: Uh, Alan Christie from Seattle writes this. This is a. Hold on, what an mean? essay! It's a. It's an essay. <laughs> I think this is what Christie from <laughs> Seattle. We do.
2: We love your emails. If you could make them a little more brief, that would be cool. <laughs>
0: that means they're going to cut out all the the compliments and flattery.
1: Oh. Okay. Well. Well, yeah, you you, get, you've heard me try to read these things. True. <laughs> awful i think that's partly what they like though it's awful if anyone that's likes that's why that, they make them long it's, it's so bad <laughs> they,
2: they want to see how you're gonna pronounce their words
1: <laughs> yeah just fumbling around like uh, anyway hi big al andy and joe okay first of all so i'm last billion here um <laughs> <laughs> she's maybe big al fan maybe i don't know
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> she is a big al fan uh big fan of the show especially when you appraised my comments on solo one a while back podcast 194 i have a question about your favorite topic roth retirement accounts it's not our favorite topic christy i'm so sick and bored of talking about roths can't Im- imagine she didn't,
2: she didn't say back to a roth that would have been
1: a what a killer oh god um, but we're doing our duty to answer your guys' questions. Um, I have a question. Okay. So it's the show's, t- it's, it's your show. It's your favorite topics, it sounds yep. like. Okay. Right. My husband, 52, and I, 46, are planning to retire when he's 60. Uh, right now, we have about $450,000 in a taxable brokerage account, mostly in low dividend index funds in individual stocks. Uh, $900,000 in IRAs, 401Ks. 130 in Roths, uh, 50K in HSA, and $120,000 in cash. Part of which we're hoping to use for a down payment on investment property soon. That means less than 10% of our uh, retirement assets are in Roth accounts. This is because we have a relatively high combined income of about $400,000 per year, which puts us in the 32% tax bracket. So it hasn't seemed to make much sense to put money into Roths. Right now, we're saving about one hundred sixty thousand dollars a year, with about one tenth of that going into Roth via my husband's four hundred one k, which allows post tax contributions that are set up immediately to roll into the Roth. Oh, there you go! Congratulations, there. That's the mega backdoor. That's uh, it, Big Al. Right. So I knew coming. Every email has something to do with the (laughs) backdoor. Just call it backdoor planning. Uh, we have about hundred k a year into a tax. Um, we save about a hundred thousand dollars a year into the taxable brokerage account, mostly because a big chunk of my husband's pay comes from RSUs. We also have about five hundred thousand of equity in our home. Uh, we're hoping to have about four million dollars in total savings eight years from now, which I project will break down to about forty percent taxable accounts, fifty percent traditional retirement accounts, ten percent Roth. Uh, Then we plan to live mostly off our taxable accounts in some rental property income, uh, hoping to spend about $160,000 a year through retirement. So uh, looking to do Roth conversions for the first 10 years of retirement, uh, then we'd switch to living off a combination of traditional and Roth retirement accounts plus social security. (sighs) Is there a question anytime soon here, Christy? (laughs) Uh, The question is, okay, thank you. Is this a good plan? Yes, it's a wonderful plan. Will it give us enough tax diversification in retirement? Given the capital gains taxes are lower than the tax brackets we plan to be in retirement, is it okay to keep putting as much into the taxable accounts? Or should we divert some of the taxable accounts to minimize post-tax contributions, beef up the Roth before we retire? Um I like the liquidity and flexibility of taxable accounts, and I'm reluctant to take money out of them during the next few years since they're mostly in stocks, which means uh, we have a high average rate of return, but they're volatile. Am I wrong to rely so heavily on taxable accounts in the retirement plan at the expense of Roth contributions? So, no, I, I mean, I think she's on point. She's gonna, there's, they're still going to have a, a couple million bucks in retirement accounts when, when they retire, um, so I would fully here, – here's the rules. This is what I would do. They're saving $160,000 a year, which is a significant amount of money uh, compared to most Americans. So, Christy, um, so if, if your husband's going with the Roth 401k, I, what the hell? Go Roth 401k, um, do the after-tax contributions to the max, so that's about $54,000 that you could put there, and then convert that into the Roth. Um, if you have a 401k, put – Max out the 401k plan. If you haven't done backdoor Roths, do a backdoor Roths of another 7000 a piece. Um, and then everything else goes into the brokerage account. What do you think, Al?
2: Uh, g- good. Um, except she mentioned she's got 401ks and IRAs. So if they already have IRAs, the, the backdoor Roth will be more problematic because of that aggregation rule and the. Yeah, well, then put it rule. in the 401k. Yeah, if you can roll your IRAs into the 401k, it opens up the ability to do the backdoor Roth. But yeah, I, I agree. I think it's a great plan. I think, uh, Christy, you're in a high tax bracket right now. So the tax deduction is, is, is particularly valuable. And then in retirement, you'll likely be in a lower bracket. It uh, looks like your husband retire retired age 60, so there's 12 years to convert, and you're even uh, a little bit younger. So there's a lot of years to convert, and, and while you're in low tax brackets, so yeah, that's, uh, I think it's a great plan.
1: Yeah, so, right, th- they're using the troughed, have that low income, convert up to the 10, 12% tax bracket, you got 10 years to do it. They're living off the brokerage accounts. That's going to be capital gains. Uh, their RMDs at that point is going to be pretty low right? Because a lot of it's in the Roth. The Roth doesn't have an RMD. and uh, The Social Security pushed that out to 70, right? The provisional income on the income for Social Security, it doesn't include Roth distributions. So they could potentially be in a 0% tax bracket um, in retirement if they do this right. So uh, great job, Christy. Thank you very much for the email. Roger writes in from San Diego. Hi, Andy, Alan, Joe. Oh, and sure. Joe, too. God, this is like three in a row.
0: They're doing your trick. They're figuring out the thing that bugs you and they're using it against you.
2: They, they seem to like to do that, don't they?
0: I guess so. It's
1: very funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks for all you do in a great show. All right. So I'm tasked with helping an elderly relative handle their money. But first, let's go through the most important info. I drive a 2009 Ultima. I don't have a pet, but I love dogs. Altima. trying to figure Nissan. out. Nissan. Nissan yeah. Altima. That that looks like a Camry. Yes? Maybe. No? Maybe. S- similar. Yeah. Exactly. So. Yeah. Affordable, but I think kind it's of maybe not,
2: not as big as a Camry, although I, I could be wrong.
1: Okay. He loves dogs, but doesn't really want to rescue one, sounds like. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I love them, but I don't want one.
1: Okay. The relative doesn't drive or have a pet. The relative is 89 with excellent longevity and health. And we're hoping we'll be around at least 10 more years. <coughs> wow. That's age 100. Yeah. After spending their pension and social security, they spend about 3% of the portfolio a year and don't have a desire to spend more. They live in an independent living assisted facility, all meals included, uh, but don't currently need assisted living. Um, obviously when they need assisted living in long-term care, their spending will go up. Now their heirs are all financially stable and don't mind that the portfolio is spent down. I've set up an allocation for them that is currently 33% S&P, 46% bonds and 21% cash. I think odds are good that they won't ever spend the money in stocks and about 30% of the stock value is unrealized capital gains. Uh, Their current income is in the 22% federal tax bracket. They live in California. So I'm thinking, let the stocks go to their heirs. There's a revocable trust to get the step up in basis. Total estate is well below the state tax exemption. Uh, The biggest dilemma that Rogers got here is what to do for bonds and cash. Right now, I have them in short-term and medium-term bond index funds in laddered one to two-year CDs. I know fixed income right now is just horrible, but I wonder if I'm missing something. I've considered immunities, but given the COVID recession, I think there might be more risk than usual. I've also looked at a three-year um, a, a guaranteed annuity. Uh, but I don't know that the interest difference is worth a hassle, I agree with that. Um, I could take some of the bond money and put it into preferreds, uh, but that would also expose more portfolio uh, to stocks. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the allocation as well as what to do with the bond cash allocation. Obviously, your comments will only be taken as entertainment value, so feel free to entertain away. All right, so Roger's living in the world that we all live in, is that he can't find yield in fixed income. Yep,
2: that's very true right now.
1: So he's like, okay, well, I got 33% uh, S&P 500. We're not going to sell the stocks. We got unrealized capital gains. Uh, they're only taking, they're, they're, they're taking 2 or 3% from the portfolio. A lot of money in bonds and cash. And it's like, hey, the yield on this is dog doo-doo. Um, yeah. I mean, welcome to the world we live in with very low interest rates. Is, is there something else? that and like, if he goes preferreds, MLPs, I mean, there's all sorts of way that you can create income with a higher yield, but he just said it himself. He's like, okay, if I try to get a higher yield, what's going to happen? He's going to take on more risk. And you can go into high yield bonds or preferreds, but they act almost like stocks in a downturn. So if you're willing to try to get the upside, but are willing to take the downside, well, then by all means. But just understand the risk and return relationship of whatever investment decision that you have. Uh, cash and short-term bonds is, is the riskless asset. That's why you're not getting any return on it. Uh, but it's going to be your buffer when the market corrects.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and I think that to me, the allocation is probably pretty close. I, I might... Um, have a little bit less in cash just in, because bonds pay more than cash right and at last you know, earlier this year when the market went down we got we got some good returns in bonds and that's that's what the whole point of bonds is they help they help buffer the stock market but i would on the stock side i would probably go uh wilshire 5000 or total stock return instead of just the big big boys the s p 500 And I would probably, maybe I would do a quarter of that or 33% of the stock portfolio in international, maybe a total international fund, just to get a little bit more exposure that way. But there's just, there's not a lot of return in bonds, but it's better than cash.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's got 70% um, in that's not yielding anything. So as a total return portfolio, it's like, man, this thing is probably getting 1% or 2%, 3% total return because the bonds are flat sometimes negative yields, and, you know, the S&P is doing its thing. Well, the s and P's is at all-time high, so you want to maybe have a little bit more stocks, but break it up, Al. I agree. Maybe have a little bit more international emerging market exposure. Uh, that's going to give you more return in the overall portfolio. So if, if they're, they're only going to spend for the next 10 years 3% of the portfolio, I mean, yeah, maybe you have 15% in cash and have them spend on the cash, and then you can take on more risk in the other portfolio that's going to go to the airs. Um, if there's a long-term care need right well you still got a lot of the portfolio in in in, in fixed income so um, i I think he's doing the right thing he could probably get a little bit more creative um, but it it all really depends on the life of his buddy or the relative um, when he needs more cash because if he's just taking three percent he's got enough in cash and he's got a 10-year time frame i mean that it's I think I think he's on track. I wish there was a silver bullet to say, hey, try this ticker or try this or, you know, when it it comes to safety, there's a relationship there with the return and low risk means low or no return in this environment.
0: Are you confused on the concept of asset allocation? In the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com, I've posted a blog, a video, and a previous podcast episode on what asset allocation is, how it differs from asset location, and what the right asset allocation is for your retirement to help you get up to speed. If you have a question about an appropriate asset allocation for your retirement investment portfolio, click Ask Joe and Al on air there in the podcast show notes, or sign up for a free free financial assessment for a deeper one-on-one dive with a certified financial planner professional whether you read a blog post ask a question or get a financial assessment it's all free so you cannot go wrong click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app go to the show notes and avail yourself of all this valuable free stuff and don't forget to share it with your
1: friends uh keith writes in alan um okay I'm trying to see if the late Jack Bogle's age-related stocks versus bonds holds true to your opinion today. The theory is my age, 60 years old, percentage in bonds in the remaining 40% in stocks. I don't think that's Jack Bogle, Keith. Isn't that your age minus 100? Yeah, and then, and then
2: they, because that didn't work, they changed it to 120, you know, minus your age. And yeah, well, keep going. We'll answer the question. <laughs> Got it.
1: Um, I've retired from the military and a utility company, both paying a pension. I also have a service-connected disability income and a million in my IRA. My current investment is 60% in stocks, 40% in bonds with a Vanguard advisor. My question to you is, when I hang on my hat and leave work, should I switch to a conservative 60-40 bond stocks, as Mr. Bogle and the Bogleheads have advised? I don't mind the risk, but just in case the market turns downward, I don't want to have to return to work again and recover from substantial market losses i'm a fan i've been watching and listening to you all four years uh appreciate that keith really um enjoy the email but so this is the age or the rule of 100 or the rule of 120 which i hope that mr jack bogle didn't come up with because it's the worst thing you can possibly do it's the stupidest well, thing I've ever heard of in my life. I,
2: I, think, I think I will say it this way. Um, it's what you do when you have, have no other idea what to do, and have not done no financial planning, and have given it no thought whatsoever. It's and you have an better, IQ of four. It's probably better than nothing, but boy, this is not the gold standard. This, this is- um,
1: This is, annuity salesmen came up with this to sell more fixed annuity products.
2: Yeah, because as you get older, you got to go safer.
1: Yeah, you got to go safer, and then this is the safest investment that you can get into, and it's a fixed product. So you know, like red red hat, green hat, or hot money, fast money, cold oh, money, yeah. all you're, that you're,
2: stuff. You're seventy. You, you have seventy
1: percent and fixed, and I got just the product for you. I wouldn't, <laughs> right. you I wouldn't got, be surprised. <laughs> yeah, you got a million dollars, Keith. Well, you need seventy percent um, in this fixed annuity. <laughs> It's going to pay me a nice 7% commission. Um, so, no, what you, you have to take a look at so, – so, Keith, he's got a pension. He's got disability. He's got a million bucks. Um, he's going to have Social Security potentially. So, it sounds like Keith is set up with his fixed income. So, it's not 60-40. It's not your age. I mean, we have clients that are in their 90s that have millions that it's for their grandchildren. You know, so you're 90 minus 100, so 10% in stocks, 90% in bonds, and it's for a kid that's, you know, in his 20s. I mean, that would, you would lose your license. That's really bad advice. That's- so
2: yeah i mean the so the, the the concept the general concept which is get a little bit more conservative as a general rule as you get older is is okay and sound it's just that when you look at everybody's situation everyone has a different answer because their circumstances are differently we we'll have people in their 40s that maybe Maybe all they should handle is, is 30% in the stock market just because of a whole variety of things. Maybe they've got, they got a whole bunch of stock options. They've got a whole bunch of money. They're risk-averse, and they don't need to take a risk to cover their lifestyle. Well, it has, has nothing to do with 100 minus 40, right? Right. <laughs> or 100 minus 60 or 100 <laughs> minus 90. What happens when you get to 105? <laughs> then uh, you have to have 105%
1: bonds and... Uh, yeah, yeah, you gotta you give five percent. Yeah, yeah, you short the market, and you gotta give five percent of your stuff to the treasury.
2: Yeah, uh, maybe that's it. Yeah.
1: So, and and I I like where he's going because I think a lot of people might be hearing the same kind of bad advice. Here's a rule of thumb I think is better, Keith, is that it takes a little bit more work than just taking your age minus a hundred. You you have to look at okay. What are you spending? Let's say Keith is spending sixty thousand dollars a year, and maybe his pension and social security is paying him forty thousand dollars a year, right? So you look at the shortfall. So if he's spending sixty, and the shortfall is forty, he's going to be short twenty thousand bucks, right? And in that case, he might want to go ten years. Let's say he's pretty conservative guy. He wants to be a little bit more conservative, so go 10 years in fixed income. So 10 years of, 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 let's say a fixed income of your income need. So if he needs $20,000 a year times 10 years would be 200 grand. So in Keith's situation, he's got a million bucks. So we might recommend an 80-20 portfolio, 80% stocks, 20% bonds, because it's very specific towards his goals.
2: Right. Yeah, and I think the that's right. And the other way to look at it is is you go through the same math and figure out okay, 20,000 is what I need. What's my portfolio? A million bucks. So I need I have a 2% draw rate, right? And then you can sort of, you add maybe a percent or more for inflation and add some for growth um, and taxes. And so maybe you need a 4 or 5% rate of return. And then you figure out a portfolio that's going to earn that rate of return. That's a little bit harder than what you just said, but both are appropriate measures. And that's why you get different answers for everybody, regardless of their age,
1: because everyone's
2: situation is different.
1: Right. I mean, if I'm going to sit at your kitchen table, Al and ask you how much money you have and how old you are, all I got to do is put a 100 minus your age and say, this is what you need, sir.
2: Yeah, and you need to pay me a bunch because I'm <laughs> smart enough to know this formula.
1: Yeah, so here's your financial plan. Um, all right, Tom from Chantilly, Virginia. I remember seeing Chantilly, Virginia. Is this, uh, Tom, a, a regular or, or is he catching the I think the this Chantilly is the second wave? time.
0: I think this is the second time Tom has emailed us, maybe a third.
1: Or maybe he's, you know, introducing our show to other people in his neighborhood. Joe, Big Al, and Andy, my wife is getting laid off in December, and I want to take advantage of the CARES Act uh, COVID-401K withdrawal strategy. Uh, That would be a CRD, Tom, a coronavirus-related distribution. Based on your podcast, it's my understanding that we can take up to $100,000 out of our 401K, pay the tax over a three-year period, and not incur the 10% penalty. My plan is just to put the money in a brokerage account and take advantage of the long-term tax diversification. Given that taxes will eventually go up, is there any benefit in paying the taxes all in one year? Depending on the outcome of the election, I could also consider paying in a two-year periods if it takes time for a new administration to implement new policy. What are your thoughts? As always, thanks so much. Um, okay, well, if he can take advantage of the CRD, Al, so what that means is that he can take $100,000 out of a retirement account, you can pay that money back over a three-year time period or pay the tax over a three-year time period. So $100,000, $33,000 of income would show up on the tax return each year for the next three years. So he's saying, you know what, maybe I don't do that. Maybe I just have the $100,000 show up on my tax return this year and I'll bite the bullet and I'll pay the tax. Tom, look at your taxable income and find out how much room that you have in your current bracket is what I would do. So I would run a little bit of a tax projection to show, okay, well, maybe because someone had a a coronavirus incident. So he, he got diagnosed, his wife did, she got furloughed, laid off, whatever. So their income is probably lower this year than previous years. So he needs to do a little bit of math to look at, all right, well, roughly what's, what was my taxable income last year? Make some adjustments for this year of what, how much that's going to be reduced. Take a look at the top of whatever bracket. And if it's in a fairly low bracket, I'm seeing like 22%, maybe you do pay the tax this year. If it's higher than that, maybe you push it out over three. What do you think, Al?
2: Yeah, I agree with that. And one thing you mentioned is maybe I'll do two years and that's not an option. You can do it all in one year or you can do it in three. You're not allowed to pay the tax in two years. So th- those are your choices. And you know, when you think about changing tax rates, I mean, we know under current law, the tax rates will change in 2026, back to what they were pre 2018, which is about 3% more for each bracket, roughly than where it was before. Uh, if you look at what biden is talking about um he is only he's basically talking about keeping the same brackets unless you're in the highest bracket maybe going up to 39.6 or something like that that's when you're making more than 622,000 so i don't and and plus that would have to be a a change that uh, Got through Congress and the Senate, which it seems these days unlikely <laughs> for those kinds of things to happen. So I wouldn't worry too much about that. I mean, I think I think you're right, Joe. I think you look at the tax bracket. Uh, if you can accommodate it all in one year and want to do that, great. Otherwise, if you're if you're in the same bracket each of the three years, I would just defer it over three years. Why pay tax earlier than you have to, considering the time value of money?
1: Yeah, without question. I think what. Um, the, the, the only caveat, right, is he's thinking um, if there's going to be a significant change in, in, in tax law. Right. So maybe the 22% tax bracket goes to something significantly higher where he could have paid it all at the 22% bracket versus, you know, going into the 25. You know, you pay, t- you know, a third of it on the 22 and then the other two years is going to be something higher. So
2: Yeah, and you don't really have to decide until you file your return, which would be April 15th or even October 15th, right?
1: of next the year following
2: year right yeah. and but by then i think there'll be a lot more clarity on what's going on so i would kind of wait till there's more clarity before you come up with your strategy
1: very good very good all right thanks a lot for the question going to win
0: the race for the White House? Will the next Congress be red or blue? Do elections even matter for financial markets? And are your taxes heading higher? Our Executive Vice President and Director of Research here at Pure Financial Advisors, Brian Perry, CFP, CFA, is in the middle of writing a series of blog posts on this very topic called Decision 2020, Your Money and Your Vote. You can read the first three installments right now in the podcast show notes, and be sure you're subscribed to the YMYW newsletter to get updates when Brian publishes the next three installments on taxes and building an election-proof portfolio. Click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app to go to the show notes, read the podcast transcript, access Brian's latest blog posts, subscribe to the newsletter, and send in your money questions.
1: Larry writes in somewhere near Columbus, Ohio. Hey, Andy, Big Al and Joe. God, that's annoying. (laughs) Love, love, love the show. Uh, Yours is one of the few podcasts in my rotation that I faithfully listen to every week. You are the car talk of personal finance. Extremely informative while being incredibly entertaining. I have a question regarding when my wife and I begin to draw Social Security. I'm 58. She's 60. We both retired within the past year. We are considering waiting to age 70 before either of us draw Social Security. We are fortunate to have saved more than significant post and pre-tax savings from which we will draw to pay for living expenses uh, until age 70 and beyond. My expected Social Security payment at 70 will be 3000 bucks. My wife's is going to be $1,800. Uh, so $4,800 combined. We both are in good health and hope to live past the break-even point and maybe into our 90s. My question is, uh, given that we can... Given that we can. F- Forestall. 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 Hold off on. Forestall in seven years ago. <laughs> okay, drawing on Social Security until we are eligible for the maximum benefit, should we necessarily do so? Okay. Is there any circumstance in which one of us might want to consider drawing earlier? or which delaying for a larger benefit is not financially meaningful. Thanks for your opinion and insight. Okay, so he's saying, hey, just because we can afford to forestall our Social Security benefits, should we?
2: Yeah, that's what he asked.
1: And he's looking at this as an investment, Alan, not necessarily insurance. So, we can answer this two ways. I guess the insurance ways, if you think you're going to live into your 90s, then forestall Right? I, because it's I, a guaranteed I, I, income stream that you're going to have for the rest of your life.
2: Well, I, I would say um, if you're both going to live into your 90s, which hopefully you do, then, then you both delay. If one of you, for some reason, has impaired life expectancy, I would have um, Larry at least then wait till age 70.
1: Because he's got his, the higher benefit. He's got a the higher, higher
2: benefit. Right, the higher benefit, and then maybe his, his spouse could then draw earlier, right? Mm-hmm. Because if, if one isn't going to make it till let's say, 80, maybe, makes, maybe that's 75, then you might as well get that other spousal income early, right? And then the, then the, the, whatever spouse survives the other one gets the higher benefit. So that could be a reason why you wouldn't do both at age 70.
1: So, uh, or you do this. You take it at 62, both of you, and then invest it. You don't need it. You have other assets, and then just be more aggressive with it. I mean, what's the goal, right? Is it like when I die, I'm on my deathbed, and I want to add up all the money that I got from Social Security. If I took it at 62 and invested it, took it at 67 or 70, right, and spent it. It depends on what you're trying to accomplish, right? If, if you look at it as an investment, you can run any assumption that you want and probably taking it early at 62 and in, in, in then using a fairly high expected rate of return uh, would probably give you the highest amount of money. Uh, but there's no guarantees there. I guess there's no guarantees in life, right? Um, we believe that if you push it out as long as you can, it's a guaranteed income source by the federal government um, promising us that today. Um, it has a fairly high um, probably you know a probability of paying out versus getting maybe an eight or 10 or 12 percent rate of return in the overall markets, right So you, you, you just have to take a look at what risks you're willing to take.
2: Yeah, I think you said it right, Joe. the, the key is we kind of look at this as, as insurance. Uh, it, it's, a, it's, it's backed by the government and by the way, say what you want about the government, our government also controls the money supply. So they're gonna make the payments, right? So could they change the rules, maybe? And and so there could be a concern about means testing. It's been discussed. There's nothing in the works right now, but that means testing would mean at a certain income level or certain asset level, maybe you don't get all your benefits. That's possible. There's nothing being discussed right now. And I actually, Joe, even if something like that happens, it will probably happen for someone probably younger than 50, wouldn't you say? I mean, it probably won't happen with the the baby boomer generation, which right. they're part of. So, well, yeah. I
1: mean, uh, stranger things have happened because they changed the claiming, you know, with, with the uh, file and suspend and everything else. They grandfather just a, a short window of people. Right? Usually they, they grandfather a lot larger group of people. But um, yeah, I don't know. You, you look at this, I agree with you. If if they got a large pension, it, will they means test it? Probably, um, you know, uh, it, 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 it could happen. So, I don't know. There's all sorts of things that, that I guess you could look at depending on how you want to look at the system.
2: Yeah, but I think the key is that it's, it's like people look at this as break even and when you pass away, who cares? Right. Who
1: cares? You're dead. <laughs> no one's ever complained and saying, damn it. I should have I claimed it earlier. I should have claimed early. Man, you know, they're on their deathbed. Do you have any regrets? Yes. I should have claimed my social security benefits earlier. Damn it. Did they croak? Uh, we got one from Dean from Chicago, Alan. I enjoyed the combination of knowledge, honesty, and friendly banter that makes your podcast educational and entertaining. Um, I'm getting mixed answers for the Divorce Spousal Benefit from the SSA website. I was born November 1954. My ex-wife was born March 1953. We were married 24 years and have been divorced 17 years. Can I claim Divorce Spousal Benefits, or does the January 2nd, 1954 Spousal Rule prevent it? I'm born after January 2nd, and she was born before January 2nd. I have not claimed Social Security yet, but my ex-wife has started, was hoping to hold off on claiming SSA benefits until I turn 70 and get a monthly boost using the ex-wife's benefit. Uh, currently, my Social Security benefits around 2700 and hers is 1900 Thank you for looking at my question. Uh, well, thank you, Dean. So, Al, what he's looking at here is he wants to – file a restricted application on his own benefit. He wants to file a spousal benefit on an ex-spouse's record and claim 50% of that benefit because he is full retirement age. And he wants to let his own benefit accrue uh, the 8% delayed retirement credit until his age 70 and then turn his on. Uh, That's the gist of what I'm trying to understand from his question.
2: Yeah, that's what I get, too. And and unfortunately, I don't think, Dean, you're going to like the answer because there was a rule change, uh, as you identified, on January 2nd, 1954. And uh, this is right off the Social Security Administration website. I'll just kind of read a couple little blurbs here.
1: Well, the rule Uh, wasn't changed in 1954.
2: I'm sorry. It was changed recently. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. It affects
0: 1954. (laughs) It affects
2: people that were born at before or after January second, nineteen fifty four? See, it was what sixty five years ago. We're finally getting around to talking about it. <laughs> okay, let me let me start over. <laughs> if whether you were born before or after January second, nineteen fifty four, makes a difference, right? So, if if your ex spouse was born before January second, nineteen fifty four, ex spouse being you, Dean, uh, and has already reached full retirement age. And can choose uh, then they can choose to receive only the divorce spouse's benefit and delay receiving their own retirement benefit until a
1: later date. So if so Dean that, was before, um, if, if if Dean was born before nineteen fifty four, January second, nineteen fifty four, he would be able to, to to file the restricted application and let his accrue. But he was born after January second, yeah, nineteen fifty four, by a few months.
2: Yeah, by about 10, 11 months, and and so now here's the second sentence. If your ex-spouse's birthday is January second, or 1954, again being dean, being the ex-spouse, uh, or later, the option to take only one benefit at full retirement age no longer exists. You can take the spousal benefit, Joe, but then you're deemed to take your own benefits. So you there's you can't you you can't get the delayed retirement credit. Is kind of what he's
1: asking. Right. It's gonna it's gonna. He could take his. Be- he could try to take the spousal benefit now, but it's basically going to give him his own benefit. It's going to be the higher of the two.
2: That higher of the two. That's right. So there's there's zero benefit. So if he wants to wait till seventy, then wait till seventy. But there's unfortunately no way to game the system uh, on, on getting the spousal benefit. That's why they made that change because it was a pretty generous rule. And at, at some point, the politicians fe- felt that wasn't the intent of the
1: rule. So yeah, the old file and suspend, I mean, we used to do that quite a bit. And it, yeah, it, yeah. it, it seems like it's 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 changed quite a few years ago now. Man, time flies, right? Yeah. Wasn't that 2015 yeah. or something? God, no, it was 1954 compared <laughs> to Al. <laughs> yeah, that was,
2: that was even before I was born. How about that? <laughs> and I'm finally getting around to it right now. All right. Uh, I was just going to say next week, I'll get to 1955, (laughs) maybe through 57.
0: I've got derails about Al his wife Annie and their cat coming up you don't want to miss this Your Money Your Wealth is presented by Pure Financial Advisors click the get an assessment button in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com or call 888-994-6257 to schedule your free financial assessment that's 888-994-6257 Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor this show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast, and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. Forstall. Yeah, Who you've the ever hell heard that says
1: forstall? That's the first
0: word time you've ever heard that word? Isn't it, Joe?
1: Guaranteed. <laughs> Guaranteed. I thought that was it was probably
2: that was a word probably during the. Uh... Probably like 1776,
1: and in that era, I'm guessing. I Larry. Are you like a professor of? Given that we can forestall drawing, I'm going to use that word at the barn on Friday night. Yeah, let's see what kind of response. All having my fifth beer.
0: <laughs> but you have to say it like you know what it means. It's forestall, not forestall. Okay, whatever, I'm not.
2: You know, we got this uh, we're in Hawaii right now. We got this cat that keeps showing up at our at our doorstep every morning wanting milk. And, really? And salmon. And,
1: and, and you know why?
2: Well how many do you know gave, it wants milk and salmon? It's, because because the, first, that's what the, first, <laughs> him. the first day, that's what Eddie gave him and he keeps coming back. Well so of I'm course. Assuming, <laughs> where's the salmon? She put out like uh, like rice krispies. <laughs> you didn't like that. <laughs>
1: I got We're used salmon, to salmon. Sorry. Yeah, right. <laughs> what, the, what, what do you guys have Rice Krispies for?
2: Uh, breakfast and whatever. <laughs> Why does anyone have Rice Krispies? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> what do you eat? <laughs> you go to the house. Just a just you, come you of salmon you got, and, Rice you got, and, and, and Rice Krispies. And milk and Rice Krispies. That's it. <laughs> That's, that's all we got. The, the last
1: time I've had Rice Krispies is like 30 years ago. I was, I was like five years old.
2: Well, the truth is I, I almost every single morning eat a to be oh, honest. So, I don't know why we have Rice Krispies here.
1: <laughs> Get the munchies there in Hawaii? <laughs> okay. <I suppose. laughs> all right. So Roger, back to him. All right. Um, driving around the Altima doesn't have a pet. <laughs> Al's got a cat for you. I, can, uh, I got.
2: Yeah, the cat needs somebody.
1: And, Annie, you don't have to bend over. We're not on TV. This is just oh. a podcast.
2: Oh, he said you don't have to bend over. It's, we're not on TV. It's a radio <laughs> podcast. <laughs> What's she been, I didn't even see. Yeah, she's hiding yeah, behind you. You, yeah, you see the top of, her, yeah, top of her head as she went in to grab something from the fridge? Yep. Got it. <laughs> I'm just thinking about what what are we going to feed the cat? Because I think we're out of salmon. I don't know.
0: Rice krispies. We, yeah, the, rice
2: krispies there you well, the cat didn't. I don't know whether it's he or she, but he or she did not like the rice krispies. And we've 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 already named the cat. The cat is named. You ready for this? Kitty.
0: <laughs> oh, brilliant!
2: <laughs> wow, that's creative. Very, very, very creative. Um, yeah. Well, we're we're sitting we're sitting in Hawaii, so you know it's kind of you just you just do what you need to do. Everything else is just it's free and easy, right? <laughs> it's Kitty. I'm not going to think of like Dolores or some hard name. It's just Kitty.
1: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dolores.